one. This is 2 Corinthians 5 and 6. And the tagline of this is that we are awaiting the new body. So Paul brings his audience back to the idea of death and resurrection. The body we have now is earthly, and the next one will be, to quote, an eternal house in heaven. Now look at verse 3. We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And then verse 4. While we are in this tent, our body, we groan and are burdened because, and further on, we wish to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So can you relate to what Paul is talking about? Do we groan and look forward eagerly to the Lord's return and a new body? So it's easier nowadays to fix our own problems, be it physical, mental or emotional, etc. We have more opportunities for a good quality of life than when Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians, but his words have still held true. All of us, whether we have the most luxurious life or not, will live in times when our bodies and minds and our hearts suffer, and we'll want to fix this. But eventually the only fix is in what Paul points to, the new life built by the Spirit and not the one that is built by the earth. And obviously people in Paul's day often died young of numerous things, and they had to face and accept their own frailty. And though it is wise for us today to look after ourselves, we should, the people in Paul's day understood that they couldn't make themselves live forever. So their response to that, you could either become nihilistic, become super depressed, and Paul, Paul tells his audience to look to Christ. Now in verse 5, says, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, he doesn't say, in this life, we will be fixed and happy and everything will be amazing. That's not what the gospel is. But he points towards something better to come that the Holy Spirit is pointing at. So there are things in life we aren't going to be able to fix. And there are some hurts that will stay and some sufferings that will leave scars that we might have to endure forever. And when it comes to these things, whatever they are, do we face these in the spirit, like enduring them but looking ahead to what is to come? Or do we try to run away from them or block them out or fix them at any and all costs? Now, Paul builds in his next few paragraphs to the truth of God's reconciliation. So if you have some time, read verse uh, 13 to 21. And Paul says, One man died for all, and so all have died. And those who are still alive live no longer for themselves, but for Christ, and for those who are dead will be raised. And from this, uh, the Christians can, in the spirit, regard people not from a worldly point of view, because in Christ, he quotes, we are a new creation. He's saying that the old is gone, the new is here. And being a new creation doesn't mean we will lose all the interesting things about who we are, but it does mean that how we view our life and how we view and love others and ourselves will be changed to a new perspective. So as a Christian, does your life exude the new life in Jesus? Does it treat people, view people with God's love and serving heart or as a Christian, do we actually just look like the rest of the world? So take a minute and look at verse 19. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the world's sin against them. So a few weeks back, 
we covered 1 Corinthians 13, a really famous chapter, and it says, and it says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not keep a record of wrongs. So God is not asking us to be um, a doormat to abuse, but he is saying that love serves. Even if our enemies have done us wrong, it doesn't hold that against them forever. It forgives. And we are called to be God's ambassadors, and that's showing this kind of love to the world, a love that forgives, being the hands and feet of Jesus reconciled and offering reconciliation to people in the world. And in chapter 6, Paul quotes Isaiah 49, and the quote is, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And Paul is saying that now is the time of God's favour. The prophet's words are made real in Jesus. And in God's favour, Paul can then say the following, that we have put no stumbling block in anyone's path. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses. So my question for you is, what kind of stumbling blocks might the church or Christians put in someone's path? Have we ever hit a stumbling block in our faith? And much more importantly, what removed the stumbling block so that we could continue to walk with Christ? And remember here that Paul, he's not boasting. He's not trying to say to his readers that his faith and love is genuine. Um, yeah, he's trying to show to his readers that his faith and love is genuine because he will endure hardship to make sure the good news is spread. He's open and honest with the Corinthians, and he asks the church to be open and honest with him as well. And it's important as leaders and as a congregation to be open and honest with one another in our faith. If we keep secrets from one another, we won't fully be able to grow in Christ or effectively lead. And then next up comes this very famous verse, verse 14, which says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. So I'm sure you've heard that before. It said, don't be yoked together with unbelievers or don't be unevenly yoked. What have you understood that to mean in your life? That a lot of people take this to mean that under no circumstances should you be in a relationship with a non-believer. And some people take it further to mean that you should at no point fraternise with non-believers or work with non-believers. And we know from 1 Corinthians that there's a whole chapter on marriage that some married couples will have a non-believer as a spouse and that if they are happy to stay married to the Christian, then they should. We know that Jesus, and I say this in quotes, fraternised with all sorts of people. And actually the key to this verse, if you ever struggle with this verse, is actually suggested later on where Paul says, what harmony between Christ and Belial, and more on that in a moment, what agreement between the temple of God and the temple of idols? Corinthians 1 and 2 is specifically a letter that is calling for unity in the church, in a city, in a culture which is filled with many idols, many religions, many gods, lots of confusion, lots of spiritual mess. So the, the main heart here is that Paul is calling for the Christians to be united and to not be mixing with the beliefs of other idols so for the church and the unity of the church to not be confused with another god or another cult and that was what was potentially happening in some of the leadership especially when some of the leaders in the church are attacking paul now with that quote when he said um what harmony is there between christ and belial now belial is an obscure name um 
it's either a name for a local spirit, uh, it's noted in Paradise Lost, John Milton notes it, but that's a work of fiction. Um, but no one really knows if it is a thing people believed in or not, or if it was a word people used to describe something that was unholy. Well, the point is here that Christ can't be mixed with evil and idols and that which is vile or profane. And so he's trying to suggest that the believer and the believer's life shouldn't be one foot in Christ and one foot in another idol or half Christian, half pagan. You know, he, he's not saying that we can't work in the secular world or work with secular people because that would be insane. You'd have to be hidden in a mountain. He's saying that if your heart and if the church's heart is only 50% 50, 50 Jesus and 50% something else, then the church isn't united. That's what he's getting at, and the root of this message. It's not specifically talking about marriage. So, what challenge does that present for the for the reader and for us? So, note note here that I'm not advocating that people should immediately think about this and then go and break up with each other, or quit their jobs, or move, or anything like that. All I would say is, if you are a Christian and there is a relationship or a job or there's something in your life that is actually causing you in your heart to be split in two and you'll know it because it will be painful, it will be hard work in a, in a way that isn't worth it, it will hurt. If you are being split in half then perhaps the wise choice is to consider this idea of not being yoked. But that's down to you honestly discussing this with someone that you trust who is wise. And the reason this is important is in verse 16, where Paul says, We are the temple of the living God, and as God has said, I will be their God and they will be my people. So God lives within us, the Spirit of God in us. God is our God and us as, our, as his people. And we are to reflect the Father heart of the Lord, and therefore we shouldn't fill our bodies, which is the temple, with things that are not of him. I remember in Jesus' own words in Matthew fifteen eleven, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And then again in Matthew fifteen, eighteen to nineteen, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make man unclean. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So when Paul says Christians don't be yoked, or don't be unequally yoked, and that means as in like things in your heart, what is most dear to you, with things that are not of Christ, that are evil. He's not specifically saying, don't love another person, even if that person isn't yet a Christian. He's actually trying to get deeper than that. He's saying, don't let your foundations, don't let your Christian foundations be half and half with something else. So what do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Are you challenged by this? Are you confirmed by this? Have a thought. Thanks, guys. Just as a note, halfway through that, I realised I'd skipped into chapter 6, um, especially when we started talking about um, being unequally yoked. That's actually chapter 6. So I do apologise that I jumped right through that and didn't actually, I don't think I actually said it was chapter 6. So if that was a bit confusing for you, I apologise.